Hello and welcome to a storm of spoilers off season tour. My name is Dave Gonzalez and in the fictional world of the expanse, the fictional universe of the expanse, I would represent the group parent farmers or the earthers down on earth having one kid with multiple parents so they could have enough acreage to feed the people. I am Joanna Robinson, and if I were to represent one faction from the sci-fi and now Amazon series, The Expanse, it would be the O-P-A. And I'm Neil Miller, and if I were among the characters and the factions of The Expanse, I would be on team Martian Marines who become political radicals, which I guess includes Mars, Um, but it's really more just about two specific characters, and you guys know who I'm talking about. Yes, don't be too specific, Neil, because we're going to be talking about The Expanse, which has aired three seasons. Two on sci-fi, one on Amazon. No, three on sci-fi, then was got, was canceled, picked up by Amazon. Now you could stream two of the three se- seasons on Amazon uh, Prime right now. Uh, as of February 8th, the third season will open up to the free streaming option. We hope that you catch up with all of it. Uh, we have, but we're going to spend the first portion of this podcast only sort of talking vaguely about the first season and the show overall before diving into detailed spoilers for the rest of you, because this is the Choose Your Own Storm podcast, where our listeners have voted for us to finally watch The Expanse. We did it. It's we did finally it. happening. We, we did all of it. And if you are one of those Patreon subscribers at patreon.com slash storm of spoilers at the Maester of Small Council level, you'll be getting a bonus segment this week in honor of Groundhog Day, which is this weekend. We are going to each be choosing what movie we would be gra- Groundhog Dayed into. So we wake There's up no every good day way to word that, sorry. Running, running through the movie. Groundhog Dayed, Happy Death Dayed. Uh, there's the verb. That's a verb now. <laughs> uh anyway that's gonna be our bonus segment and finally last piece of business this is your weekly reminder that con of thrones is coming up this year july 12th through 14th in nashville that will be after the season of game of thrones airs we will be there jamie lannister will be there we hope you're there too make sure to get your tickets and use the uh code storm at checkout for five dollars off and to make us very happy to see you that was a weird way to space out the words in that <laughs> those sentence, like William Shatner or Superman. I will say this. Uh, um, I've had a lot of folks who I did not think were like really heavy Game of Thrones people start to ask me about Con of Thrones and like attending and stuff like that. So I'm just I'm getting the feeling deep inside that it's going to be a big year. So get your tickets, get your lodging. Let's do this. Yes. It's going to be a hot summer in Nashville, and uh, <laughs> the the beginning of each episode in this off season tour has just slowly been me slow like flying apart, like a like a spaceship at, at like five G. Definitely, yeah. That's that's what's going to happen. I'm going to be I'm going to be taken apart down to my bolts. Uh, Joanna, do we have any reviews? It's like your bones can't handle the... Okay. Um, <clears throat> yeah, we do have reviews, and I'm going to read them. And I genuinely do have them pulled up. It's just uh, my computer's... Kevin, Keeper of Dogs, writes, I love this podcast episodes in your off-season tour. 
are one of the highlights of my week, but I also love your coverage of Game of Thrones as you make me feel sane. Speaking with friends who constantly insist that Game of Thrones quality only gets better and better as the seasons progress makes me feel madder than Aries. I say things like, but plot logic, character motivations, Dorn, the friggin' map. And they just respond, but fire, ice, explosions, fire explosions, ice explosions. Right. Anyway, you three are the... uh G-O-A-T, greatest of all time. And I can't wait to hear your coverage of these last six Game of Thrones films. Let's hope it doesn't get all go down in a giant green flame. So that's from Kevin, Keeper of Dogs. And that is it for reviews. Just the one. Please do leave us a review on iTunes. We so appreciate them. Neil, what do we do next? Um. Well, guys, we're going storm chasing. Pew, 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 pew. This is where we talk about uh, whatever movie, show, book, story, podcast, whatever. Whatever you want to fit into the definition of a pop culture storm. Uh, I will start. Uh, I'm very happy to report the Grand Tour, Amazon's um, copy of a copy of Top Gear, with the same guys from Top Gear, is back. And it is as delightful, delightfully sort of problematic as it always has been and i'm really enjoying it <laughs> like okay here's how you know that this is a show that is like the whitest thing on earth they go to detroit to talk <laughs> about detroit muscle cars and like i'm sitting here watching this whole episode like oh god please don't please you don't have to don't feel like you have to go to detroit <laughs> And then they show all these very poor, run-down, abandoned versus places in Detroit that are because of the, you know, sort of existential crash of industrialism. Um, and their solution is to uh, create a theme park where people can drive Mustangs really fast around abandoned neighborhoods. So it's fun, and it's cheeky, and it's silly, and I love the production value but come on guys <laughs> this is like the time where they were like we can solve you know with just by building a stupid car we can solve the fact that they don't get fresh food on the interior of africa like it's i think that's part of the joke but also like come on guys it's, it's like a <laughs> when you have a hammer everything's a nail sort of yeah sort of, look at the world yeah and listen i still enjoy it it's great for car people it's super good for cinematography dorks like me who just love when stuff looks cool um so i still if you like it it's good but i don't i don't it's not a show i go around recommending to a ton of like especially my like progressive friends you should do a version of that where your solution is to like arm everybody you should be like (laughs) The girls down the street aren't selling enough lemonade at their stand-up shops. I think they aren't getting enough attention. What if they had handguns? <laughs> well, and it's funny because earlier seasons of, of of Top Gear, they would do challenges like, let's see what's faster to get from one end of England to the other, uh, taking a train, a boat, or a car on the highways. That's all like really fun stuff, and the banter between the hosts is great. It's just like, it's, you don't have to like make it weird (laughs) how do we make this next season you know feel current and like you know like something that really feels like now anyway so uh the grand tour is back it It is also one of the few streaming shows that goes week to week so i i only have to watch one thing a week it's amazing 
Oh, they should build a whole model of television off that. Pretty wild. Week to week. That'd be amazing. <laughs> uh, okay, so that's me. Um, Joanna, what is it that you are chasing this week? Uh, pew pew. Um, so my my storm chasing, I guess, is a, a humble brag, which is that I have um, screeners to the Umbrella Academy, which is upcoming Netflix show. Um, I you should be like, I have gained access to the first few episodes. <laughs> like, just make it sound fancy. You make it sound like a burden. I have screeners. I have gained <laughs> access to the first few episodes of a Netflix show. Um, I'm sure I'm like, uh, kind of, um, embargoed to the gills, but, um, you know, the Umbrella Academy, you know, for those of you who don't know, is a comic book written by Gerard Way, the probably the lead singer of My Chemical Romance, and uh, illustrated by Gabriel Ba, who's this great um, illustrator and and one half of a of a brother duo artist illustrators. Anyway, um, so Netflix uh, has has adapted this comic book into I think it's like a nine nine part. Uh, series with, um, Ellen Page, Tom Hopper, who's, um, uh, you know, hot dickin, um, Robert Sheehan. Oh. Yeah, Robert Sheehan from, from Misfits, um, Mary J. Blige, Ca- uh, Cameron Britton, who was so good in, um, <clears throat> Mindhunter, Mindhunter, um, great cast, really good cast, uh, and just very stylish. And I think when you have, um, Gerard Way, the lead singer of My Chemical Romance, as one of your executive producers and the creator of your comment, uh, comic, you get like a music budget that's off the chain, which they did. Um, I will just say I, I was dropping uh, comparisons to The Haunting of Hill House, um, both in a piece, I, an interview I did with Ellen Page and in our Patreon Slack. And uh, I just want to like dial back expectations a little bit, just say like structurally it's like Haunting of Hill House, but I'm not going to like claim it's on the same level as Haunting of Hill House, which I think was maybe one of my best shows of, of the last year. Um, but, but I, I think it's, it's worth like checking out and for like maybe the musical montages and fight scenes alone, cause they're incredible. And then also Robert Sheehan, who those are two things I personally love. I mean, it, like, musical montages and action sequences set to great music like comics are such a visual medium not that television isn't but like comics are just such like a stylized visual medium so when you have an adaptation that like gets those aspects right it can be so fun um i i I wish it were holistically like uh an incredible adaptation but i will say like for those parts alone um it's worth checking out so that does not premiere until February 15th, but we're not that far away from that. So I just, oh, yeah. plant, it's about plant to that, be February by the time this that, like episode comes out. Yeah. Plant that little seed of, of that's definitely like, that's definitely something where like I watched as many screeners as I needed to for work. And then in my like downtime, I just found myself wanting to watch more. And so that's always a good sign. So there you go. Nice. Dave. Yeah. My thing is on Netflix already. It's the back half of season four of The Unbreakable, Kimmy Schmidt. Um, uh, they, for some reason, split the perfectly reasonable 12-episode season into two parts. I didn't realize why until we got the back half of uh, season four, which has some 38-minute episodes, one, like, almost hour-long episode. Um, 
it's an interesting end to the series as a whole. I think it's interesting because Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt was originally created by Tina Fey for NBC. The first season was shot that way in a more traditional television uh, format. And then it was brought over to Netflix where it debuted. And ever since then, Netflix hasn't really held it to any of the traditional television standards in terms of runtime or what their stories can or can't be. And so it's been interesting to see them uh sort of expand as a comedy show from a very traditional format and then sort of allowing the world to get crazier and the storytelling to get crazier to eventually get to things like a Me Too movement with the puppet where Titus has to touch like a Muppet penis on camera. <laughs> And, uh, like that sort of level of absurdity about serious issues, because when you come back to it, it's about a woman who was, you know, locked up and sexually abused underground for years. And the series doesn't shy away from that while being completely ridiculous and sort of like, like loading every, uh, dialogue exchange with as many jokes as possible to the point where I frequently have to like go back and make sure I heard what I thought I heard because it's like wittier than I'm expecting a throwaway line to be. Uh, it's really good and uh, has some really great guest star, uh, guest starring roles like, uh, by, uh, John Bernthal, uh, Netflix's Punisher. Uh, he's not playing that, but he does a good <laughs> but side wouldn't thing. Wouldn't it and- <laughs> be great if you were? <laughs> it's interesting because he's in an episode where Titus is claiming that he plays Matt Murdock's doorman in an unaired season of netflix's daredevil but they never make the punisher joke but in a later episode ronan farrow is played by ronan farrow so i don't know if they just decided not to swing for that fence anyway and then zachary quinto shows up as a character with a twist uh that uh is pretty great uh in the like last couple of episodes so yeah unbreakable kimmy schmidt four seasons it's a complete little show now and i think wraps up all of its themes pretty nicely and uh yeah, it was fun. Fun to watch. If you nice. like if you like comedy. I just nice. uh, like for some reason the first half of season 4 must have dropped in a time when I was just like too busy to check it out even though I really quite like that show. And so I like I just watched the first half I think a couple weeks ago like I just somehow like missed it. And uh and I was like god, this show is so good. Um <laughs> and everything um Every like line delivery for the Titus character is just like freaking incredible. I also found myself like rewinding over and over again just to hear him to like deliver a line again. Uh, so yeah, love that show. Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt is uh, like amazing because it has really good character work. Like a lot of characters that you assume would be really dumb actually end up being really smart, or sometimes the other way. If you assume that they're really smart, they'll end up being really dumb. But you know what? is in- unquestionably smart is going to ziprecruiter.com slash storm to hire the right person. What I've heard is that on the like, other job sites, ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates for you. It's powerful matching technology, scans thousands of resumes to identify you- people with the right skills, education, and experience and actively invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the US. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. And you know what I heard? I heard that right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash storm. If you love this show, show your support to it and ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash S-T-O-R-M. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash storm. ZipRecruiter, the smartest 
Way to hire. Smart. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Don't be not smart. Do ZipRecruiter. It's finally time to talk about The Expanse. As I said up top, we're not going to go full spoilers. There's three seasons. That's a lot of TV to watch. It's good TV. I would argue that you maybe don't want to know where we're at at the end of the third season if you're just starting the first season. Then again, you might, because the first season is kind of a slow burn. We're going to have some general questions about The Expanse that isn't going to probe too deeply. Believe me, I will stop and let you know. When it's safe to get off. Also, um, Dave, have, yeah, I think we should yes. let people know, because this is very important to the dynamic of this show. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, normally, when we talk about Game of Thrones, Joanna and I have read all the texts uh, as part of our scholarship in Game of Thrones. <laughs> but this time, with The Expanse, uh, we have read uh, nothing but, I believe Joanna read some internet theories. <laughs> But you have an advantage, and I think that uh, you should tell folks how much of the books you've read, so they have a little context. Also, if you'd like to lord it over us, now is a good time. Well, yeah, right, wait, so, wait, 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 really quickly. You, sorry, maybe you were going to say this, but like, how many books there are? Blah, blah, oh, yeah, blah. I don't actually know the answers to those other questions, right. so you could right. answer those too, and I'd be very appreciative. <laughs> so in the overall book series, there's going to be nine books. Uh, the television series Heard covers that one before. the first <laughs> the television series covers the first four and also includes some of the tie-in short stories so unlike i don't know what i understand of uh george r r martin it's like the duncan egg stories uh have actually been part of the adaptation so on the tv show occasionally we'll cut to scenes from the short stories that are used as a way to contextualize something we're seeing from the books. So they're definitely using all the material as they're, you know, uh, going forward. I've read 75, no, no, I've read 80, 83% right now of Leviathan Wakes, the first book in the series, which actually is, um, most about halfway through the second season in terms of, uh, how much they cover, book to to show uh the books are still coming out the last two eight and uh nine are coming out this year so oh wow big year for the expanse i can see why it's um it's funny because i jokingly put game of moons in the mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> but we've we were joking earlier about how it's very thronesy but i guess i can see why people who almost instantly i can see why people who enjoy game of thrones enjoy this show um, because it's super violent. It's very political. It's very, um, there's, you know, there's a Jon Snow is in it. Um, mm-hmm. so earlier today, I just, uh, this is my question. Um, <laughs> we were trying to figure out if George R. R. Martin is secretly writing The Expanse. Do we think that's even possible? No, <laughs> I mean, that bro has his own thing, which is Night Flyers. <laughs> Uh, it, it, I, I, I don't think so. Only because these guys, it's two guys writing under one pseudonym. So it's Daniel Abraham and Ty Frannick who are writing under the pseudonym James S.A. Corey. Two guys, which allows them to stay like really on schedule. So Leviathan Wakes was 2011. Uh, unnamed novel nine comes out at the end of this year. That's, that's a pretty concise, 
uh, yet expansive book series uh, slash story world to play in. And definitely while reading the books, you get the idea that these guys just have like, they know where they're going. It's just a matter of stringing together enough interesting science fiction events to get there, um, which I don't know what it, that's what it's like reading George R. R. Martin, uh, but it feels like very mm. confident. It's not always entirely clear that George knows where he's going. I agree, unfortunately. <laughs> but then again, it's no different than that scene in what what is it season five where they first show the night king where just sort of like stuff comes out of nowhere and then later it's part of a thing um so but okay well that's good i'm very happy for them that they're finishing their book series it's very refreshing um (laughs) so one of the other things i wanted to talk about up front was what other shows does this remind us of um and i feel like there's a lot of like easy one there's a lot of Battlestar Galactica a lot of Battlestar Galactica yeah, I, Battlestar would be my number one um, there are a lot of um, both ideas and actors from Lost um, yes it's sort of here's okay I'll start with this Wait, here's one of the Lost, things there's Juliet who else um Mr. Mao isn't he the oh, dude yeah, from yeah, Lost yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um one of the things I really thought was interesting is, is that it's a really well produced, like it's a really high quality show for what you would expect from sci-fi, which isn't, you know, they don't make bad stuff. They just sort of have a very specific lane of production quality. And I feel like the expanse really impressed me. Um, yeah. They outbid HBO for this. So no they were, they were like, we will give you the budget to make this at the scale. And so for at least for the first season, like it has some amazing space battles, which it, I think it leans on a little bit in the first season, but it really, they really do show the dollar and they bring in, uh, what, what's his name? Bring in Mike from Breaking Bad for half an episode. <laughs> John Banks. Jonathan Banks. Banks. Thank you. Well, um, yeah. So I find it interesting. So what other, what other shows or other things? Does the expanse remind you guys of um, Joanna? Go. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. I mean, beyond that, I actually have one. If we don't, if you don't. oh, you don't want to listen to me bullshit? Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you could uh, you could go for no, it no, if you no. want. Let's, why not throw to the book reader, Dave? What do you say? Oh, well, I would just happen to be in a hotel room flipping through movie channels and Gravity was on right after I'd finished watching The Expanse. And I was like, holy shit, this is extremely my thing because there are large periods in The Expanse, the show, where it is about like the physics of getting one place to the other without all dying. Uh, And I think that also has a lot of gravity things. Space is treacherous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, I really like the space stuff and the uh, sort of accounting for what's going on in space, which I think is speaks to some of the like the space battles being very good is like the show does a good job of accounting for the size of things and um, you know, what how things would move in space. Like there's um, a sort of indistinct you know how they wear the boots? clank mm-hmm. down and the magnetic boots there's a scene where somebody gets shot and their boots are on and it's like their body is just sort of floating because <laughs> it's zero g but they're attached to the ground and i was like oh that's a clever little obviously it's a visual gag so it can be kind of gross which the show 
again, super into. Um, but it also is sort of a cool sciencey thing. It's like, here's what would happen to a body if someone shot it, but it was tethered. Um, so I found that very interesting. I don't know where I was going with this. Um, what other general thoughts do we want to say about the expanse other than I was impressed that it didn't look cheap like a lot of sci-fi shows. <laughs> yeah. And I think it also, it gets, it does get to the point where they're making things that we've never seen like concepts of before. And even those things don't look as bad as they look on other shows. I'm doing as best I can without pulling the spoiler alarm thing yet. But yeah, there's definitely some, uh, some graphics budget behind this. Uh, so even though Battlestar is probably closest and it is a science obsessed show, it does also like to make sound in space because that makes for better tension. So I let that stuff go. But yeah. 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 I like it. No, the I only person it. that really seems to care about that is Neil deGrasse Tyson at this point. <laughs> I will say there's, there's, um, there's, I think the like makeup stuff and like, I mean, uh, Neil has written in our notes like creature design. I don't know. Anyway, uh, some of the work. Oh, round, well, that, that was makeup effects. Um, we'll talk about that later. But like the human yeah. makeup effects, yeah. like the tattoos and stuff and the tattoos, but also like the, I think it's, I think this is safe to say they're not the, like the blue goo stuff. The blue goo stuff is good. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the blue goo the stuff. Blue goo it's, stuff. It's, yeah, which is also a good design chase because change because in the book it's just like brown and gross. Mm-hmm. Oh no! I'm like oh, the blues. Thank right? God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Well, here's a question, and then we can rip the spoiler bandaid off. Um, what are okay? So what I like to do with friends is is when they say what should I watch, I go all right. Well, what what do you like? Like, give me the last couple of things that they liked. So. If you were, if a friend came to you, what kind of shows would they say for you to say, oh, you should watch The Expanse? Do you have any other ones besides like no, Battlestar? No, you're crazy. This is the same question. Yeah. <laughs> just, uh, okay. Anyway. Well, I think that'd be like, I'll, uh, I'll, I like, I'll say, uh, I'll say yeah. Storm of Spoilers producer, Diana, who also okay. happens to live in this house, um, is binging Battlestar Galactica right now. Hardcore. She's never watched it. It's hilarious. She sometimes comes out of her room and is like, Oh my God, they shot a Dama. And I'm like, is he going to live? And I'm like making pancakes or whatever. So, uh, as soon as Diana is done, as soon as she takes that needle out of her arm, I'm going to be like, here's a new needle. It's called the expanse. I mean, Battlestar is just like, it's. You could pivot off that needle when, when she's like trying to get the bad taste out of her mouth. You could be like, well, here's a better taste. you know, I don't hate, hate, hate the ending of Battlestar. I don't hate the ending of Battlestar either. Oh, guys, it ends with a montage I mean, of it's, technology from 10 years ago. It's Come the, on. like the laziest ending. <laughs> I love, I love me some Ron Moore, but. Um, okay, but okay, I, I guess. <laughs> fair enough. Um, sorry, this I guess, that, that brought to you by the Neil, finale Neil Wade's in the middle of a knife fight. <laughs> fucking outlander sorry this season was frustrating okay yeah um but no i like the expanse that's where i'm getting with this do you like it or not oh yes i I definitely like it i think that (laughs) what you were maybe uh pushing in the direction of with the second question was if you're going to watch the expanse and you're not going to continue on with us now know that the first season is very slow yes half of it is like 
half of it's like a Chinatown noir detective mystery, and the other half is we're stuck in space and it's really hard to do everything. And those two things slowly come together, and the excitement is supposed to be made when you, the audience, realize that they're slowly coming together, which you will just because you're smart television watchers. But I swear, once it gets to that point that they actually come together, uh, the series stops messing around and starts bringing Which leads me to spoiler question number one. What? what, Uh, Spoiler alarm, go. What is the moment in this series where you feel like it first starts to come together? Um, I don't know about come together. Like, um, maybe where when, where things come into focus, I guess. I think when um Miller meets the Rossi crew, like those threads together feels Oh, when they when they see each other when they're all going to find Julie. Yeah. Is that right? That yeah, that that feels important in terms of coalescing exactly what Dave just obliquely described, which is two very different feeling shows into the same show. Um but it's not until I think is it what season two episode five or maybe seven I don't know uh, Miller's last episode uh, is I mm. think one of the best episodes of television I've ever seen and when I got to that episode I was like oh this isn't just like a an okay show that I'm watching to indulge our listeners who voted um, this is uh, honestly a great uh, like all time great episode of television I think the way it's paced the way it looks. Tom Jane's incredible performance and as problematic as like Miller's obsession with Julie Mao is, but that's just noir. Like that's a noir thing. Uh, the, the way it all comes together just really satisfied me. So that's what I would say. Yeah. I would say the, the show, that's definitely a great episode. I think by the time they find the first episode, they get together and they find Julie and you realize the series, like you're already in the end game. The series is about, like, they try to go here, they're in danger. They try to go here, they're in danger. They follow this clue, they're in danger. Finally, everybody gets together, and they find the person they're looking for, and the season hasn't ended yet, and it's like, oh, no, the danger's here. That's when I was like, I really like the plotting of this series, because it wasn't just, uh, it wasn't Rivendale, and then we have to go off somewhere else. It was just everybody gets together and still doesn't know what the hell's going on, and they're in the middle of it, which I think was really smart. The, Does, sorry, um, I, let me just self-correct really quickly and say mm-hmm. uh, season two, episode five, Home. Uh, is. <laughs> I was just going to say, does every good TV show have to have an episode named Home? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, rule number one of good television shows. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it was it's especially interesting because that's about where I'm at in the book-wise that uh, there's like no Earth avasarella stuff that's been in my radar because the two perspective characters alternating chapters are holden and miller uh so it's really interesting how the adaptation um is not only simplifying in the sense that uh julie mao's dad doesn't directly own protogen like he does in the series there's like other companies there's a whole economy i'm told there's a chapter in one of the future books that's entirely about currency and banking so i'm really looking forward to that oh bud i'm excited yeah, I know. for it's you just, it's, it's important right in my direction our listeners have led you to your happy place yeah but i think the way that this uh the expanse is able to bring in sort of random elements and massage them into the story knowing that they're going to pay off later on like i don't know what episode it is that aversarella finally gets on the Ro- the rossi but that's like 
towards the end of season two, if not in, or no, towards the end of season two. So that's like a long time to have a character that you've been following and invested in completely separated, but they know to bring that all the way through because otherwise you would have no idea what this Earther thing is. They use her to investigate like Holden's parents, which are all things that are given to you through exposition in the book. So it's been really fun to be on this side of an adaptation and being like, that's a really smart choice. I like this because I think like the script writers are aware that the novel's serving a different purpose than the TV show. And you could ev- you could see it every once in a while with the way they structure episodes. Like they know how to structure not bottle episodes, but every person's storyline has to have some sort of weird urgency, even if you have to make it up. So there's always an airlock that's not working like it's supposed to. There's always something they're about to run out of. And that does sort of like drag if you're or you know it doesn't drag you notice it if you're marathoning it but it's really smart if you look at like the whole thing when the book has 72 days they spend traveling at you know two g's in between locations the television show is not going to take that time so it's efficient execution and i like it but the book has so much detail that I'm probably going to continue on with those. Well, something something I, I want to ask you that you alluded to earlier was the short stories that you mentioned. Are those the like little characters you meet? Like something that I that I noted that the Expanse does so well is like introduce these little like one episode characters. Um, like I'm thinking of uh, what's I wrote one down. Um, Ooh, like the lady who's with Prax. After the Ganymede like attack, what's her name? Doris. Why don't I remember her name? Wow. Or like um, the hotshot, uh, you know, Belta pilot who flings himself into the ring. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And you like meet him, and he's like recording a message for his girlfriend, and then like you know he dies by the end of the episode. Or but, Sam like- Huntington as the guy who invents the engines. Yeah, or like so you know that the Neil that one is a short story. Or like Jonathan- Joanna the. The Belter yeah. one is flavor texts. That's in one of the books. But uh Drive is the short story. That's the Epson Drive one. That makes it almost one-to-one over to the t- TV series. The other one is the uh Fred Johnson's backstory is actually a short story. Yeah, so that the one. people who are yeah, trapped the mo- there. The, like the people with their children and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, far, yeah. I- so far, I don't think they've included other backstories, but I know the other short stories take place between like books uh i think three and four and then books uh six and seven so i think they'll also bring them in but yes they are incorporating the short stories uh as those like little side cutaways to sort of add add context that's so cool it just makes the it makes the universe feel so lived in and and then just even like even stuff like that even like that that hot shotter it's like I don't know. I, I feel like so many shows. Okay. This, this is what I think about all the time. I think about the, the era of Doctor Who that I really liked, um, which is the Russell T. Davies era where every single, almost every single episode, the doctor and his companion have to meet someone new and you have to be so emotionally invested in their survival. Like before the episode even reaches its halfway point, because like, you know, the doctor saved them before the episode's over. That's the formula of doctor who it's a really challenging formula. And it's something that like, there are unforgettable one episode characters in that era of Doctor Who. And then I think the show really just falls apart when it can't make those characters stick in any way. And then so they just feel like, 
cannon fodder for, right. for the episode. And that's what, what, um, the experience does so well is just like when they introduced, like, I was just really paying attention to that specific, specific episode, um, with the hotshot, uh, whose name is like Manio, uh, young Espinosa. Like, I was just like, this is it. This is how you introduce someone. It's not like I like loved him. Like this guy's in it, like kind of an asshole and a fool, but like I was invested in his story. And so by the time he dies, you know, before at, at the end of the episode i was just like this but this mattered this death mattered mm-hmm. you know or like they the um the lady and her husband who are the uh oh on ganymede right when they're mm-hmm. when they're docked and then the husband gets killed and then it's all about the lady trying to only bring on 50 some people yeah but it's like i was like super invested at first when they introduced those characters i was like why are we doing this? Why are we here with these characters? But they do a good job of sticking the landing, which I think actually speaks to one of my larger thoughts about the whole series. It's like, I actually got a little worried in season three, um, which we can get deeper on, but I, I started to get worried that it, it wouldn't stick the landing, but the expanse is really good at sticking the landing, like in yeah. multiple places throughout three seasons. I was like, there's no way. There's no way this is going to all come together and, you know, you're not going to, everybody's got, you know, super Martian plot armor, but, <laughs> um, but I was like, there's no way you can pull this off. And they really, I'm just really impressed with, um, all of it. There's just the other, it. the other thing that they do in season one. And I honestly can't tell if it's something that they like hadn't figured out exactly what they want to do or, or what, or if it's like a, a fun classic bait and switch, but like, I don't know if Jay Hernandez like seems more famous than other people just to me because like Crazy Beautiful, which came out in 2001, was kind of important to me. But like Jay Hernandez, aka Diablo from Suicide Squad, uh, and he's been in a bunch of other stuff. Like he, he plays Miller's partner in season one and he seemed, uh... he seemed like so, <laughs> I was like, oh, Jay Hernandez is here. And then they like, and then you're like, oh my god, they killed Jay Hernandez like right off the bat. And then they didn't, but then he disappeared anyway. And that's all part of this mm. like uh It sounds like he disappeared so far, according to Dave. Guess where he doesn't disappear in Well that's what <laughs> I'm saying. It's like I think maybe yeah, maybe they like either he comes back or maybe they just like r- 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 like wrote him off because they're like, Okay, this character isn't working. Sorry, Jay. Oh, he's or doing like DC that. movies now. We can't bring him back. We can't. Uh, I think him. the there are a lot of characters that I've only read synopses of upcoming books, but there are a lot of characters we met on the show that will come back as book POV characters, which I assume means they're coming back in the show, unless they do something like keep bringing drummer forward from the books like they are in the show because she's badass and is an OPA stand in we could get behind. But yeah, uh, Miller's partner from the, you know, Joanna's past, uh, maybe not just my past know. Jay Hernandez. I swear Jay Hernandez okay. is like a thing. I don't know. I, kn- I knew who Jay Hernandez was. Okay. Good. Before do, this. do we know, do we know what he's doing now? Probably suicide squad too. Uh, he was in Bright and now he's on Magnum PI. So he's just going to do whatever Will Smith asks. Him oh, to he's, do. he's Magnum from Magnum PI. <laughs> the new Magnum PI they're doing. Oh, well. so maybe he was oh. like, don't bring me back. I got to go be Magnum PI. <laughs> interesting uh because yeah i think uh he is supposed to pop he pops up in book four again okay so i would hope that he would come back so you're saying there's a chance 
They're shooting it now, so I I would I was hoping that smuggling. What's this character's name? If we're gonna make him the the latest Havlock of the Expanse, we need to know what his name is. His name is Havlock. Okay. Dimitri. Is there is uh, is are there Dave? This is a good question. So you know how we have that Lady Stoneheart thing with Game of Thrones, where it's a character mm-hmm. they never put in the show. Are there any mm-hmm. characters from like the first? You know, because you said the first book is what the first two seasons essentially. Are there any characters in that first book that you were like, "Damn, why not?" And they aren't in it. No, but I was surprised how many characters are in that book that didn't become important until later on if that makes any sense Hmm. okay so it's like the the book the funny thing between i think maybe with fantasy books and science fiction books in adaptation is it's actually harder because with a book you're so direct about what you're talking about and i imagine that's good for george r R. martin because if he doesn't write it then it hasn't been like written into his fantasy world but if you're on like a TV show, uh, or in the case of The Expanse, like, I could read entire chapters and forget they're in zero G. The television show needs to set a whole week of filming for that, you know, in order to make that work. So it's really interesting to see the television show layer in these characters. They know they're going to be important, sometimes just in the background. Uh, the book sort of does it in the, in the same way. In the same way that, you know, I'm expecting Havelock or a Havelock replacement to jump over entire seasons and reappear in season four after being gone in season one uh i think that's that this universe supports that what about Oct- so what about octavia uh, who is miller's like a healthier option that he abandons in pursuit of julie mao from season one i don't know I don't know how much, uh, I would have to go from the story standpoint, uh, the, the, the movie, uh, the show's story standpoint, but I don't know how much M- Miller is actually in there. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Which is to say, I don't think she comes back, but it's not out of the question. It just didn't seem like a final goodbye when they said goodbye. And then it just was, and then they're gone. And like all of everything of Miller's story from the belt is like shuttled from the show shunted, I should say. And like, you know, we just, I, okay. And here's what I will say. And but he does cut like, his own hair at one point, which yeah. makes us believe that nah, he's that's still true. with them. But like, yes. but like what, okay. What, what I will say is that like, Miller to me is the most, still the most compelling part of the show, even though like it's not even Miller anymore on the show. Um, and that never went away. Like Tom Jane is, is the show to me. And I can understand why that might not be true for everyone, but that is for me. So that is interesting. Um, that's one of the questions I sort of tried to sneak in. Um, cause we got a question from Jay Shen in Slack of who is your favorite supporting character? And they gave us examples of Prax, Anna, Drummer, those kind of characters. But my question is, like, who's the main character of... Are we are we to believe that it's, you know, like, who are, like, the core characters? Like, if we were going to pick George's children out of the Expanse, who do we think those are? I mean, I feel like Holden is obviously one. Um, and the secretary general lady whose last name I can't characters are Avrasala. 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 Anyway, I would say as long as they're on the Rossi, they're safe. What I would be worried about with these characters in particular is there's something about all of them that on the show and in the books we don't know about. 
uh they'll have like a little bit of like alex has left his family sort of on mars and we get hints of it but we don't really know about that or why he left the navy uh amos has his whole background back in baltimore that we get hints about but it's actually a short story so who knows if we're ever going to see that if that's going to get folded in and then naomi has a secret kid that's just like floating out there and that's definitely going to be important oh yeah they so said I think, that on like, the show yeah as long as they're together I'm less worried about them, which is why season it's so interesting to me that season three worked for me because season three is such a, all the characters are literally in the same space for multiple episodes. And it seems like nothing's happening, but the tensions like all great because of physics stunts. It's like really kind of amazing to see them pull that off. But I wasn't worried about them until like Naomi set off on a shuttle on her own. Here's, so I think to get together is safe. Here's a couple things that I need to say in this moment. One is that at one point Naomi finds time to put purple in her hair. Um, and so that's like a fun, like, uh, thing to know that our expanse characters, um, care about their hair in the midst of all of this nonsense. <laughs> you got to keep those side shaves sharp and um, all of it going. Um, and then uh, who is, who is this show really about? Like, I think it's important you, like, I think it's important to pick people from every, you know, our opening was just sort of like, what do you identify with? And I think it's important to have like someone from each of the realm, you know, like, so like, Bobby feel Bobby Draper feels important. Uh, I love their names, Bobby Draper. I cannot believe her name is Bobby Draper. For those of you who are listening to this and love the expanse, but never watched Mad Men, that's named Don Draper's son is Bobby Draper. And it's like, it's so disorienting to me. She's Um, definitely one of my favorite characters, but also the character with the most names and nicknames. Mm hmm. So that's just that's and then, like nobody <laughs> says her name for like until her third appearance or something. Right. So you're like, oh, and then it'll go, Bobby? they'll go a while of just calling her Gunny. And then all of a sudden she'll like scream her full name in an episode toward the end of season three. And it's like, wait, what? But to <laughs> anyway. have like, uh, like to have Ava Sorella, which is like important, but also like she disappears for part of season three. But like, you know, I, I, I think it's important to have her to understand the like grander political implications of everything. And then like, um, I guess it's important to have Holden cause we need our chosen one. Um, and it's important to have like the OPA and all of that. So, you know, just to have all those factions representing as, as we ebb and flow, as they come together and, and pull apart. Um, that's what, that's what the show Do feels you think- like about. I have a theory. Do you think it's about the ship? The Martian gunship that was repurposed by for rebels and has basically belonged to every human faction at one point or another. The Rossi and, is the friends we made along the way. And all the all of these <laughs> characters, basically all the characters who really matter have passed through that ship one way or another. I think it's about the ship. Okay. My, to answer the original question, though, my favorite supporting character uh, is Drummer, obviously. She's the best. Do you guys have any other mine ideas? Is, mine is Dio- Diogo, who, like, my understanding, and Dave, correct me if I'm wrong, since you're the book reader, is that he is, like, a minor character in book one or whatever, but they, like, repurposed him to be, you know, they sort of, like, r- Ross from Game Throne him up to be, like... Uh, important later in the story um not important to be our our narrative character we follow through the opa ranks yeah yeah but that's that's a book adaptation choice for the uh show right you're correct yeah so i like diogo and like i like tracking where his tattoos go so there you go 
Dave, who's your favorite supporting character? Oh, that's tough. I mean, I guess I'll take Anna because when she first showed up, you know, I like her because she's Juliet. And then I got annoyed with her because she decided, you know, to screw around on Earth for a little bit. But then she popped back onto a ship and she became like my one of my favorite characters to watch in season three. Mm-hmm. Both because she makes that really interesting decision to like leave her family behind and go through the ring. And I think after that, I realized I had like misjudged her as a character and was wondering what she was doing there. And then just the fact that she has like this magical ability to speak truth to people. And it's like, if she had the information Holden had in the first season, none of this would be happening. <laughs> like the first broadcast would have been like direct to the point and very empathetic. And it would not have started a war. over. But the Dave, all of the information was scattered across the expense. The expense. Let's talk a little bit more about the future of The Expanse after this break. And it's that time of week again. It's time to thank our small council members. I would like to thank this week Zachary Silverman, Grace Richardson, Amy Wee, Joshua Lane, Hope Shock, Bethany Townsend, and Danielle. I, Joan Robinson, would like to thank Justin Young, Tasia Pender, Hannah Watkins, David Cox, Chris Saunders, Daniel Bultima, and Adam Wells. And I would like to thank Louise Collins, Michael Filippini, Natalie Muskin Press, Brianne Polito, Tommy Fitzgerald, Dan Cleland, and Michael Balitsky. Thanks, guys. Thank you, guys. Yeah, good job. And we're back to talk more Expanse. Uh, but guys, Expanse got picked up for a fourth season, which is interesting for something with nine books, because it's going to have its, uh, its bubble season, I guess. So it's going to ride or die on what we assume is going to be book four. Have any of you guys fallen into the, the wiki wormhole of what's coming up in the expanse? I have no was idea. I the only one tempted? I think. No, I didn't. I didn't check it out. Oh. All right. So this is, I, I, I think it's called Cibola Burn. C-I-B-O-L-A is the name of the next book. Uh, I don't, but this, I'm gonna is, give you this the, is going to be the part where like, I don't know that I want to know. Oh. Well, can I get, I'm going to, I'm not going to give tables. you like the breakdown. I'm going to give you the broad direction of where we're headed with this. And one little storm theory that I get to pass on to you as book readers to maybe uh, wrinkle your brain a little bit. Uh, this is about... Holden going to a colony that they find on the other side of the, the gate. So now that they've opened up all the little holes. Okay, that seems pretty safe to assume is going to happen. Right. Based on the end so, of season three. They go out to colonies where they find, you know, all these uh, things that they could use for fuel and whatnot. It's basically like a solution to like another belt. So the humans start colonizing it. Book four is only about Holden on this colony called New Terra where they come across other alien technology and there are other political, uh, you know, interests uh, at play. But then book five jumps from having like four point of view characters that are telling the story to a whopping 15. It's called Nemesis Games and it's basically about everybody else colonizing this. So I'm wondering if we're getting a season four 
with returning characters that we like, because not all the characters uh, from our normal crew end up in book four, but some end up also in book five. Are we going to see a smash together season where doing what Game of Thrones, like the opposite of what Game of Thrones did, drawing things out? Are we going to like mash together? Well, I guess they mash together seasons as well. But are we going to try to mash two books into one season entirely? Dave, I have a I have a different but related question for you. Yes, yes. Let's say that I might want to read these books. Like, yeah, I'm almost there. I would say I'm about 75% there right now. Would you say that uh, having, I've now watched the first three seasons, so I understand what's going on in, in the first three seasons. We used to tell people like, you know, if you watch the first three seasons of Game of Thrones, you're like halfway through book three. Would you say that uh, it would be beneficial to go back and start over? To like start with book one and read through all that stuff? Or could I start with book two? Ooh, that's an interesting question. Because that's I how think- I did Game of Thrones was I watched the first season of the show and then started reading with book two and then went back and very much later read book one. I think you could only because you could start on book two and basically pick up on Ganymede, I think. And All right. have a pretty good have a pretty good lay of the land. I want to get some because, of these spoilers. <laughs> well, only because you've uh, you've seen more of the actual machinations of season one than are actually in book one. So, like like I was saying before, all the Earth stuff is implied or described, and then it says where the first book is only Holden and Miller alternating. So, if one of those them don't see it, we don't see it in the book. So, for instance, when they're on series station and they're all radiation burned, we don't see the Rossi crew in the pipes or getting to the station or anything like that. We don't even know if they've left them until Holden and Miller get there. So I think because you've seen more of the complete picture and some of those things are probably fill in from later books, I think you could jump into book two and not be completely lost. Okay. It's an and important I think it's question. Much cooler, I think it's much cooler to read Belter than it is to hear belter spoke spoken spoke, spoken spoked spoke how would the belter no. say bespoke belter oh i'm not Spec. oh guess what i'm not doing is a belter accent and here's why <laughs> it sounds racist all the time <laughs> so it's a creole like it's a, it's a creole and by creole i mean not like creole with a capital c but creole with a lowercase c i think uh in terms of linguistics what it is but uh it um it is a, uh, well, no, I guess it's not. It's just like, it's kind of a pigeon, I guess. A creole technically is a mother tongue form from the contact of two languages through an earlier pigeon state. So I think it's a pigeon, uh, language is what the Belta sort of thing is. But like, it sounds like, uh, and, uh, and I, I would say specifically a Chinese person trying to speak English in some aspects of it. And on mm. the one hand, that doesn't strike me as like, uh, an unreasonable pigeon language to exist in, in the future. But on the other hand, um, uh, it still makes me feel weird in my tummy when I hear these white, predominantly white actors do it. So the uh, only one that made me feel weird was Jared Harris because I felt like his was very inconsistent. I thought David Strathairn's was even more inconsistent. David Strathairn's 
would need a whole nother podcast for me to go through all the weird <laughs> stuff I got going on with that guy in this scene. Like, why is he here? What's going on? Why the hell did he choose that version of the accent? Um, there's I a whole episode where he just talks a lot and I don't like it. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's challenging because they like, um, it's not, you know, linguistically, it's not an accent that like, really exists or like really we know very well. And so that was like an interesting choice for them to make. Um, but what, what's challenging then is that we don't have like a, a temple, like a, you know, a standard to compare it to. So we can't say, I can't say like, like I can with Peter Dinklage, like that's a shit British accent because, you know, p- not shit, but like Peter Dinklage's British accent is not as good as let's say the native British speaker, uh, Lena Headey or, uh, or British dialect Lena Headey, uh, on Game of Thrones or even like Nicola Coaster Waldo, who is at least consistent with his vowels, you know? It is and somehow so- sometimes better than native British person Kit Harrington's though. Well, yeah. Kit Harrington Kit- sometimes is trying to do too much, uh, Northern. Sean Bean. Yeah, that's true. So, uh, like it's, it's, ch- it's challenging to know, like who's the best Belta speaker and then how do we compare like, is it drummer? And then do we like compare, uh, Jared Harris and David Strathairn to that actress? Like, I don't know. Is the well, <laughs> it's funny because I feel like this show does give us the answer, but in another weirdly problematic way, which is when Naomi starts switching back and forth. <laughs> yeah. So we, yeah, I, I, I brought this up before we started the podcast, but we wanted to like talk about the code switching that Naomi does. And I think it's specifically in season three where she like lays on the Belta accent. Yeah thick in some circumstances and doesn't really have it in others so and at first it was interesting because at first um you know they set up season three by saying it's been what a hundred and some days 170 days since the ring appeared and so she's been back in that environment for several months and that does happen with people like when you go home you pick up you pick your accent back up if you had one um it isn't it wasn't until later in the season where they like go from like her on one ship talking one way to them getting out of an airlock and she talk she's speaking significantly different that's when it like gets weird um but you know she it's both of her accents are strong Code switching is a thing, you know, that people do yeah. to, to fit into different places. Um, yeah. It's an interesting illustration of what that means. Cause like I was telling you guys off air, like sometimes that can be sort of a hard thing to explain to people. Um, if you don't have a lot of time, but you can kind of see it in action and it's like, Oh, I, I, I understand a lot more about this character a little bit because of that. So I don't know if it was super necessary, but you know, I, I, I will say that Jared Harris uh, who is an actor I love with my whole entire heart, the commitment that he has to playing this figure, which is like a little bit off type for him. Uh, that character is a little off type for him. Cause he usually plays like someone more refined um, is carries me through everything else. I actually really love Jared Harris in that role. Um, so that's, that's my take on it. I think Chad, mm-hmm. Chad, Chad Coleman is, probably the most miscast for me uh among the expanse like if i were to recast a role it would be fred johnson because oh really yeah Chad Coleman, who's someone i really liked in the walking dead back when the walking dead was good sometimes uh i just i don't think he's right for that role um 
I don't know, he strikes me as too, like, muted for someone who seems, like, you know, ideologically fired up, you know? Mm. Interesting. Mm. Yeah, I always read it as, like, a quiet sort of fury, but but he is sort of a tough character to read. I will say this, though. You remind me of another thing that I thought of when I was watching The Expanse, which is this show does has done two really good things on a casting front is like the, the core of like the younger characters, the sort of the characters we're going to see on screen the most, they're very strong for a lot of actors that I haven't seen in a ton of different places. Like I know the actress who plays Naomi has been in like fantastic beasts or whatever, but you know, I didn't recognize most of these people. So very strong casting there. And then they've done a good job of like getting really good, strong magnetic, actors like you know tom jane is is one he commands a good presence um to show up and do these like what you would consider smaller roles and i think that that's that's sort of a formula that really works you know obviously we had that same thing with game of thrones and uh i like that and when a show can really you know nail casting on two levels strong very strong it is, but I will say one of the challenges of season one is that the, the Rossi crew, it took me, especially when there were more of them <laughs> before they died, <laughs> uh, before they were even the Rossi crew, I guess. Uh, it took me a, and like one of the, the guy I recognized most from, from the Rossi group is, um, uh, the guy who, who, he died quite early. Anyway, um, I had trouble distinguishing them as characters. Not that they even like look alike, obviously, like, they don't look that much alike. It's just sort of like, okay, vaguely stubbled white guys. I don't have any, or they're not all white. Anyway, point being, I just don't. Vaguely stubbled, militaristically styled. People. That's, I was just. They all have like, the same haircut. Yeah. I just didn't like, it wasn't really. <laughs> that makes sense. And the I think first you get. Time you watch it. I think if you rewatch it, you're like, oh, that's Amos. Duh. Like, how could you ever be confused? But like, I think the first time you watch it, you're like, who are these people? And why should I care? And why am I not watching Tom Jane do whatever he's supposed to be doing? Um, is my attitude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it does. And I think that season one of the show is like, I don't know if, if, if you were to walk up to showrunners, uh, Mark Fergus and Hawk Otsby with Ostby, which is obviously a GRM made up name. Um, you would think <laughs> that season, joke, season one, <laughs> season one probably feels like they would, that would be the one they'd want to go back and redo with maybe a better budget, but it doesn't sound like that was like really a problem. It's just maybe the nature of that book is just, it's all about that. It's all about those two characters. And I will say having read Harry Potter and the order of the Phoenix recently, there are some whiny Harry Potter Holden chapters in the first book that I'm told get lesser that maybe it was just the uh, authors finding their pitch and how much Holden uh, needed to worry about everything in between uh, locations, but yeah, is Jim, I, I, is Jim Holden uh, DDN? What what do we call it? A depressive demon nightmare boy? Yeah, maybe. No, maybe. No, 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 no not even close. Not even at the end there. <laughs> they they make the relationship between him and Naomi, I think, a little better on the. The, it it kind of comes out of nowhere on the series, but it's a lot less creepy to like spend, I don't know, you spend like the first half of the book with every time he looks at Naomi, like making some sort of weird snide kind of sexualized comment in his head. And then he tells her he likes her and she's like, yeah, we could have slept together 
like day one, but you're an asshole with women. So like, come back to me later. And so far, that's where they've left it in the book that I'm reading. And I much prefer the television version of that. Where it's just like, uh, we're stressed, let's fuck. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think the book version, him, you could make an argument as a depressive demon nightmare boy. That's like, woe is me. I'm in the middle of war. Uh, but you know, his energy, show him, show him slightly more proactive. His energy is, yeah, but his show him is more proactive, but he's generally like just way too passive and like good, good. I don't know. Like, I would never put him in the same bucket with, like, Kylo Ren. He's sort of reluctantly righteous. Like, he sort of, like, reluctantly does the right thing every time. I don't know. I think he's, like, a classic chosen one. He's, like, a, like, a Harry Potter or a, a Quentin Clearwater or whatever it is. Like, that's his, that's his thing. He's in, he's our Jon Snow. You would never put Jon Snow in a demon depressive demon nightmare boy bucket well maybe it's you know watching him versus being in his head because the whole thing inside of his head is not self-confident and seems to be making a lot of accidents that turn out well for him and also kill a lot of people like broadcasting that you know the martians probably blew up the canterbury is like a bad idea miller takes him to task for that i'm getting off track debatable i would say not in the series for sure uh, but book readers chime in. Depressive demon nightmare boy. <laughs> Fair Defeat enough. me with contextual clues for Joanna. Sure. Um, there you go. Yeah. Do we have a Do we have a best line from the from the series that we all thought was super memorable? Are you ready for my dramatic reading before whatever Neil's answer is, which is quite long? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Yes. Hit your tits and pucker up. It's time to peel the paint. That's a classic Bobby Draper line. And I, I would agree that that is the best line in the show. But I did find one that I thought was good that I think is just from the books, um, which is why it's only it's from Abaddon's Gate. Hopefully that's how you're supposed to say that. Um, but it is violence is what people do when they run out of good ideas. It's attractive because it's simple. It's direct. It's almost always available as an option. When you can't think of a good rebuttal to your opponent's argument, you can always punch them in the face. Which I thought was interesting because season three of this show almost, well, I guess it does in the end, takes this very interesting idea of like, what if we don't shoot at it? (laughs) And I thought that was a really, that, that was sort of a resonant theme to me is that the answer to the ultimate problem here was, we should not attack everything that is strange and mysterious. Um, we should seek to understand things. And uh, I love it when sci-fi sneaks in like a really great message about science with the fiction. So I'm a big fan of that one because it, it sort of just, it went with the way I felt at the end of season three, which was, I felt like this was all worth it. Even though halfway through I was like, why are we all moving at two miles an hour? This sucks. Oh, so you're saying you need the psi with the phi? Yes. Hmm. Well, I like a good, I like a good pro science message mm-hmm. to my sci-fi. So, so, you know, pro STEM. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. So, so that's that's what I was, that's what I picked out. But Joanna's right. As far as the show goes, the hitch your tits line is just perfect. It's pretty beautiful. Hmm. 
Um, should we do? If I can't oh, go ahead. Oh yeah, Dave. Uh, I, I get to answer. <laughs> if I can't take the whole uh, "fear is your sharpened knife" uh, drummer speech, I have to take uh, "doors and corners, kid." That's where they get you. What doors about, and corners. What about when Holden asks Ghost Miller, uh, "What's up with the hat?" And he says, it "Keeps the rain off my head." Oh, mm-hmm. Anything that Ghost Miller says, I'm here for it. Um, <laughs> yeah, Ghost Ghost Miller is clutch i'm so i i hope they do the parts of the book four that he's apparently in um I just keep thomas jane in the series good guy right because like tom jane dies and like that episode like i said is is an amazing episode and the fact that it's positioned like my understanding is that's the end of book one and they instead they position it like in the first third of season two which is like a fun sort of game of thronesy like uh, all the shit goes down in episode nine not at the end you know like we're sort of putting our season finales in the middle of our seasons or whatever. But like, um, he, it's such a good, it's such a good episode. His death is so great and earned. And I still like immediately spoiled myself and went to Google and was like, that's it for Tom Jane. And then Google's, yeah. like, Google's like, no, it's okay. And I was like, okay. Um, cause I need more Tom Jane. Uh, and then, yeah, it so was funny watching my roommate try not to spoil that for me, which Aww. he did. He successfully didn't. Well, other than the fact that it's sort of obvious. <laughs> like, it's sort of obvious? Yeah, I was like, I don't, I feel like that's not the end. Okay. I don't well, know. After, I, think that, I think that's something that they, you know, in a post Sean Bean world, like that's something that they could do. True. Kill, kill Tom Jane. I think it, you know? it wasn't immediately. It was like once it started forming things on Venus, I was like, oh, uh, they're still in there. Like we're going to see oh, that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I didn't, I didn't have it until like, I was literally spoiled by the credits. The scene he came back. I'm like, what? Tom, Tom Jane's back in the credits. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. I w- yeah. Which I, uh, slow. Yeah. So anyway, um, ghost, ghost, Tom, proto Miller, as he's called. Um, I think, I think the most visually, you know, we, we were talking in a non-spoiler way, but I think the most visually stunning moment of the show, uh, is when you see Julie Mao just sort of like taken over by mm-hmm. all those crystals. That's an incredible moment. And the, all the, all the noir stuff is just really, really incredible. Um, I don't know if I need any more like missing Asian girls, missing dead Asian girls on this show. Like they can go <laughs> with that storyline. Uh, some man is really torn up because of this missing Asian girl, but, um, you know. I really like Julie Mao as as a missing noir girl. Like as they come, she was a really good one. So you know what else I could do without? Since we're on the subject, hmm. the documentary stuff. Get that out of here. What is this? The Wire oh, the season four. Crew. Get it out of here. <laughs> <laughs> like I, when that started, I think that was ultimately my biggest problem with season three because it starts with introducing this documentary crew, and I was like, "Kill me!" I was just like, "Oh God, I can't handle it." Um. But they become useful later. Like I said, the expanse very good at sticking the landing on stuff that I didn't think initially would work. Oh yeah, I think my that's actually to lead into one of our other questions that we might have passed. But whatever, my my favorite visual effect shot in the entire series is like I'm being completely bored by this documentary clue and following this guy who's you know trying to do a slingshot run, but his girlfriend oh, broke yeah. up with him. And then he hits the barrier. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> and it's so gross. It's, it's yeah, so it's good. gross and it's amazing. It's zero G, but also with propulsion, it, it is. 
Yeah, that's, and to think that that's like the late the latest season. This has some of the best special effects, so I'm hoping they they carry all that through. Although so I will say, I, I pick oh no, blue go ahead, goo. Sorry. So I pick blue goo, and you pick red goo. Is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. goo. <laughs> <laughs> Although I as zero g goo as my worst, I did pick anytime the proto molecule is in its slime from Ghostbusters two phase, which is when it's just like randomly slimy uh, in random places. Um, I think Not a the, huge fan of that. I think it's the Caliban from season two. That's a bad special effects, I think. Yeah, okay. The, no? uh, the mo- wait, is that the monster? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really, that's, uh, somewhere in these notes, I made a joke about the, uh, Incredible Hulk from 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks a lot like Abomination, um, which is another uh, very not memorable CGI monster creation. So not their finest hour. I will say though, early though, season one, the, like the close quarter, the first like close quarters battle between the Doninger and that other ship that I don't remember, um, is sort of crazy. And it's, they, they like really come out swinging with like a big space battle. And I thought that was great. Yeah. Um, mm. Can I interject a question that is not on our show notes, but I'm just going to go rogue. Do for it. Um, I am going to ask you for the characters you ship and I'm going to go first. And it's obviously, <laughs> um, Amos and Anna. Um, so there you go. more like, and that's not even like necessarily like a romantic ship, but it's just sort of like when he finds a better person to sort of latch his weird fixations on. A right. better person for him. Like he's like a knight. He ge- he moves from more righteous to more righteous person. Yeah, a knight, but also just like kind of a an untrained puppy too, but also a complete psycho. And so like Naomi is like willing to is 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 kindly to Amos, but is willing to exploit that woman she needs to. And Anna, you feel like because she's like because of her religious affiliations or whatever, is just going to be like, no, nobody. Let's. What if we didn't? Sort of thing. So <laughs> I don't know. I feel like my. I feel like the one that I had in mind for this sort of question is answered in the show. Cause I think it actually might've happened, which is Naomi and drummer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm. they got really good energy, good, good chemistry. Um, there was another one that I had too, that I cannot. Oh, um, Gunny and Alex to Martian. Oh. rebels. now see, I want Amos to get together with, with Bobby. Oh, really? See, I thought I want him to have like a rough, a rough love that instantly turns to tender love. There's so much between them. (laughs) Well, and it's funny because I, one of the other questions is, uh, that I wrote out was what storyline are you most looking forward to? Like for season four specifically, which is coming out when later this year, right? Um, and mine is inserting Bobby Draper into the Rossi crew. And like now it looks like she's sort of with them. And so, you know, that living space and, uh, and all the drama that comes there. But I, I think Alex is a good match for her. He's newly single. He's got a weird accent, which is he's got a real twang because that's a Martian thing, which I think is a delightful detail. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he's got a new lease on life. After I like all how this. someone was like, why did all the conservatives move to Mars? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's true. In my mind, at least on like a larger political scale, which to me, the expanse is a fascinating thought experiment of like, what would society look like a hundred years in the future, 130 years in the future? But it does like all the libertarians moving to Mars makes total sense. 
Uh, <laughs> because that's sort of like, if you think about the people who are trying to go to Mars now, it's sort of like all these like techno libertarian people who are like, I feel like it's going to end up it, like that actually makes a lot of sense to me. So yeah, the techno libertarians. Um, so yeah. So, and then for them to become militaristic, but also sort of like this weird communist society, and for the show, the show, the show sort of bounces you back and forth as to whether that's a good thing. Um, and I just think that that's a really fun thought experiment. Um, I will say that I think, uh, the Rossi crew really needed like the injection that they got when like, uh, Prax joined them and stuff like that. Like they, they needed a little bit more in the mix than what they had going for them for a while. Yeah. If that makes sense. They needed yeah. a diversity of motivation. This is what, oh, uh, this is what I was saying. That's like, good. Yeah. It's like we needed to add characters into the mix that have different motivations that throw off. Cause they're, you know, I think by the end of like season one or maybe the midpoint of season two, like it's pretty clear what all those, <laughs> what the main Rossi crew is after. So I think that's, it's a really good, this show does a good job of introducing characters that I feel like I'm supposed to know more about and then slowly unwrap like Anna's a character in season three where it's like I feel like I should know more about her relationship with the secretary general but it turns out that's not the story that they're telling about her it's it's all about her journey to the ring so it was like crazy um but really well done I like it good job Hawk mm. Hotspee yeah <laughs> you George R. R. Martin you character. very real person <laughs> you very real man uh cool so once again we're gonna have the third and thus far final or most recent season final season knock on wood not a, not not the expanse sounds like uh, we'll be streaming they have so many books just yeah that's right do it. keep going all nine all nine do the work game of uh, thrones can't do <laughs> jeff bezos can afford it um uh, yeah so that's all going to be streaming for you on amazon prime february 8th which means if you haven't seen any of it First of all, you're ready to start now, for sure. Uh, but you could start on season one right now, Amazon Prime Video. Uh, guys, or Neil. Yeah. Guys, I only asked this question of Neil. Neil, what are we doing next week? Well, Dave, we're going on another off-season adventure. We're going to be trying to find out what is the truest detective. I am the truest detective. <laughs> I don't know why I wrote that. Uh, but we're talking true detective. Uh, season three, we're going to go through everything uh of season three that has been aired up to next week which will be this weekend's episode i guess and uh we'll do some theories and speculate i feel like it would be malpractice for us to not speculate wildly and irresponsibly yes especially with true detective that's the whole that's, that's the whole like the whole thing. thing so uh look forward to well that. also race and memory but also just figuring out who did it yeah yeah Good. Um, yeah, it's, so it's episode five um, of True Detective is what we'll be discussing up through, Sweet. which is actually streaming online early this Friday if you don't want to like conflict it with your Super Bowl watching this Sunday. Mm. Oh, yes, the Super Bowl. Mm. Interesting. Well, until then, when we will be solving the mystery of season three of True Detective, where can people find more of your work on the internet? Let's start with Joanna Robinson. Oh, you can find me on VanityFair.com. You can listen to my other True Detective podcast, which is still watching Colin True Detective. Or you can follow me on Twitter at Joe Rothis. 
And Mr. Neil Miller. Uh, you get me over on that website there, filmschoolrejects.com. Get me on Twitter at rejects. And uh, don't forget to follow the show at Storm of Spoilers. There's tweets. It's great. There's tweets. You could follow my tweets at DA7E. You could follow my other podcast at fightinginthewarroom.com or just search Fighting in the War Room on your podcast device. And we will be seeing you next week. Don't fall down. <laughs>